Next up, we have Pastor Chad Hayes from Stonebridge Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I met Pastor Chad when I was at IBC as well, and uh, I've gotten to know him over the last, I guess that was what, 15 years ago or so? And uh, he's doing a great work. He just recently relocated to Minnesota, working with Kurt Juzak at Stonebridge Church. And God's got a powerful word for us from Pastor Chad this morning. Let's give him a hand today. Amen. Good morning. Light your world. It is good to be in San Antonio, especially if you live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I looked at my phone this morning, first thing when I woke up, one degree this morning in sunny Minnesota. And in a few days, it'll be rolling down to negative 15. So thank God for calling me to San Antonio here at the end of January. It's good to be at Light Your World. It's an honor to be here to preach to heroes. Amen. Missionaries, you are heroes to me. And I've watched many of you for years. And I admire each and every one of you and thank God for the call of God on your life and the work that you are doing. So it is an honor to be here. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for the opportunity to be here today and share the word of the Lord. Uh, with this group. It is a, a great privilege, and I uh, got my family here. I want my family to stand up. My wife and my daughter have disappeared. It's always good when your wife's there to support you. It? But my, my boys are here. Noah, Nathan, and Jensen, would you guys stand up? My mom is here, and I'm honored to have her here. I love my family. and proud of them, but uh, yeah. So I, I, I've got a word as I've, I've been preparing to, to share with you. Uh, I was actually settled on a message it's a part of a three-part series that I've been working on, and I was going to share a message called Life in the Castle, but God kind of shifted that, uh, and, and I want to preach to you about life in the cave this morning. Uh, it's a part of a three-part series. The first part of this uh, series of messages is called Life in the Sheepfold, and uh, those of you that were at the IMA conference in Oklahoma got to hear a part of that message. It's a, it's a message about how God took David out into the pasture, a place of obscurity, and obscurity is a gift to us, each and every one of us. It's a gift that God gives us. He takes us out into the place of obscurity. We feel overlooked. We feel like we're not recognized. We feel like we're hidden and no one's ever going to see us. But it's actually a gift that we need to learn to value because God takes us out into the place of obscurity to work in us and to develop the giftings that we're going to need to fulfill the purpose for which he has called us to. And obscurity is a gift. I like what Pastor Hal Santos says. Before you ever do a move in public, you need to do it a thousand times in private. And so David was allowed out in the sheepfold to practice his move a thousand times before he ever had to face the giant. I imagine him with that sling and those stones, throwing them at, at trees and at rocks, and then eventually it would be a lion and a bear. So the day that he walked into that valley of giants, he was prepared and he knew that he would not miss you see, we don't need to practice until we get it right. We need to practice until we can't get it wrong. And so David, when he stepped out on that battlefield, he knew that he would not miss. And so obscurity is a gift that God gives us so that he can prepare the gifting that he's going to use to advance us. But the message that I want to share today is about life in the cave. Life in the cave. Amen. And this is not a three-point message. It's what my wife often says. Most of my messages are pointless, so you guys will just have to kind of track along with me and hope you, hope you can follow. I want to look into 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 Samuel chapter 22, and begin in verse 1. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. 
and everyone who was distressed and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. What a crew. So he became the captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. You think about it. 400 distressed, discontented, indebted men came to join themselves to David. That sounds like a good David Cook message right there, right? Distressed, right? Discontented, indebted, David's motley crew, right? Uh, These were the outcasts, and God was gathering them to David. And as a pastor, as a leader, do do you find yourself ever that that it seems like God is not gathering to you the, the wise and the wealthy and people that will just be wonderful when they join your team, but it's, it seems like it's always the discontented, it's always you know dysfunctional people that God sends. Well, look out, God is forming a team, right? God sent this group of dysfunctional people into a cave with David, into the darkness, and he worked on them, and when he brought them out of that cave, I'm preaching a whole other message that I didn't intend to preach right now, it's another message for another day, but when he brought that crew up out of that cave, he had a functioning team, and his administration administration was built in those caves. The men that would stand with him and rule in the castle were, were shaped with him in those caves. And so when you see these dysfunctional people gathering around you, embrace them. God, the Bible tells us in the 147th Psalm that it's, it's God who gathers the outcasts of Israel. It says the Lord builds up Israel. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel and he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And that's what God did. He took these folks into the cave and he began to gather them around David and he used David to shepherd them and lead them in these caves and they would be healed and their wounds would be bound up and they would come out of those caves as a functioning army for the use and the purpose of God. David became the captain over these men. Call him Captain Caveman. I also like to call him Dave in the Cave. But David was the king in the cave before he ever became king of the castle. I want to ask a question this morning. What do you do when life caves in? Think about this. David had lost his job. He had lost his home. He had lost his wife. And his father-in-law is hunting him down to kill him. This is a drama of epic proportions, right? I've been thinking about writing a novella about this story. How many of you know what a novella is? Are you gringos? Turn to your Latino neighbors and ask them, what what is a a novella? A novella is a soap opera, okay? I've been thinking about, right, this would be the perfect storyline for a soap opera, right? In fact, I even, Google and I, we've been working together to come up with a name for this soap opera. It's Lanzamiento de Lanza y Espeleología. And and I I don't know if that exactly translates right, but that's the best me and Google could do. In fact, you know what? To get some help, I called my friend, Pastor Pedro Magalan, and and I asked him, I I gave him my interpretation for the name of this this story, and I asked him what it meant, and he said, bro, don't say that. It sounds like you're cussing. (laughs) But what, what that, at least according to Google, the way that translates is spear chunking and spelunking. David left his spear-chunking father-in-law's house and went to explore the caves. You think about it. So this novella, it's the story of these two contentious men that are both anointed to be ruler of the same nation, and they're related by marriage. I'm telling you, this is the perfect plot 
for a soap opera. But David and his men, they flee to the caves of Adam. They, they, they go to this place in, of, of, of Engedi. It's a great wilderness. And the Bible tells us in the uh, first Samuel chapter 23, the 14th verse, it says that David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Zith. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands. Now, this place in Gedi, it, it, it is a beautiful place in Israel. Ziph is kind of the entrance. It's south of he- Hebron, and you go through Ziph and enter into this wilderness, the wilderness of Engedi. And, and this this place where it's a land of 100 caves, maybe even 1,000 caves, these very intricate systems of caves. Of, of caves that that had tunnels and channels and cavernous passages that David and his armies would learn to navigate and use these cave systems to elude Saul. Ron Ron Bishop actually tells a pretty cool story uh, in his book. It's back on the back table, plug for Ron Bishop, who actually is responsible for introducing me to my wife by the grace of God. So I got to plug his book. He's got a great book back there, though. It's called, uh, what is it, The Mentor King. It's a, it's a new book that he's got out. It's about the life of David. Great resource. So much stuff about David. But in that book, he talks about a man who went as a tourist into En Gedi, into the cave of Abdulam, uh, Abdullah, and, and he, he went through these spider webs with his tour group through these spider webs to get into the caves. And they went exploring the caves and came back out 30 minutes, and the entrance of those caves had been completely covered over again by these spider webs. Ron tells in this book that, that they've d- discovered that these spiders only exist in the wilderness of Engedi. It's the only place. And so God used these spiders to hide David in these caves. But David, uh, he, he, you know, he became this mighty warrior. He became skillful. He learned how to navigate and how to elude Saul and, and, and became very skillful at that. But he came to a place where he realized that he could not send, uh, ascend to the throne because of his skill as a warrior, because of his elusiveness. He came to realize that the only way to go to the throne was through anointing that he had to wait upon God. The greatest lesson that David, I believe, learned in these caves is to wait upon the Lord. That he would not exalt himself to the throne, but that he would wait upon the Lord. And David eventually would come to a place of frustration. There's a passage of scripture. In fact, the the 142nd Psalm, David wrote that when he was eluding Saul in En Gedi. When he was hiding in those caves, he wrote that 142nd Psalm. And in in the fourth verse of that song, he, he makes a statement and he says, Refuge has failed me. I don't find safety in these rocks. I don't find security in these caves. I can no longer elude this king. It's got to be the hand of God that protects me. It's got to be God that watches over me. It's not about these caves. It's not about these spider webs. It's not about my ability as a warrior. I've got to trust upon God because refuge has failed me. He also makes another statement in the third verse of that psalm. He says, God, you, you knew my path. He says, you knew the way in which I would walk. And that they had secretly set a snare for me. David knew that God knew his path. That God has, had set his course. And he said, Lord, why did you choose this path for me? Have you ever looked at your life? Have you ever found yourself in a cave and said, Lord, why did you choose this path for me? 
Lord, why did you bring me through these traps? Why did you bring me through these snares? Why did you raise up these people to pursue me and persecute me? Why? Why? Why this path? Why did you allow this to happen to me? Why does God allow us to end up in caves? Why? Over the years, I've, I've, I've learned this. That my greatest adversary is not actually the Saul that's pursuing me. I've learned in life that I am my own great adversary. Though Saul chases me, my greatest adversary is the Saul within. It's what I think Paul is talking about in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, this wrestling, right? That which I would do, I don't do, and what, what I, 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 I don't want to do, I do, and all that kind of stuff. There, there's this war that's raging on the inside. And I have caused myself more harm than anybody on this planet. Oh, believe me, I've had plenty of adversaries. I, I, I think about the elder that locked me out of my church, or the deacon that locked me out of my church. I'd spent nine years planning a church. We'd labored. In fact, we had just finished a four-month remodeling process. I'd spent 14 hours a day for, six week, six, uh, for, for about four months remodeling a church, saving our church about $150,000. We were building. We were growing. We had tripled over a six-month period. Our, our finances had quadrupled. We were going places. Next thing I know, I get locked out by a deacon. Come to lovingly know this man. His name was Bob. I, I come to lovingly know him as Jezebob. <laughs> have you ever had a Jezebob to come and pursue you or a Saul to chase you I've had my adversaries how about you I think about the lady that that that, that my wife gave free piano lessons to and she turned around and hated us and threw my my kids piano in the dumpster right I think about the secretary who undermined me I think about the youth pastor that sowed discord in my church and tried to split it wide open right Think about your adversaries. We've all had many, many adversaries, but I've come to understand this. The greatest adversary that I've ever had in this life is this dude right here. There's something on the inside of me that is warring against me. Saul, there's a Saul, and I love this. Gene, Gene Edwards, it's a quote from his book, A Tale of Three Kings. I love this. It paints this picture perfectly. He said, King Saul sought to destroy David, but his only success was that he would become the instrument that God would use to put to death the soul that, that, that hid in the caves of David's heart. That paints the picture beautifully. There's a little bit of Saul in each and every single one of us. And so God, by his mercy, he, he, he sends Saul to pursue us and to chase us and to cut that spirit out of us. It's like an antivenom. God exposes us to little doses of Saul so that we will produce antibodies that will give us victory over the spirit of Saul that is hiding, trying to poison our hearts. It's God that does that by his mercy and by his grace. See, I've realized that the darkest caves that we will ever encounter or in the recesses of our own heart. It's those dark places where, where pride hides and lurks, waiting to destroy us, waiting to pull us down. And so God sends Saul to chase us into the darkness of the caves so that he can shine a light 
that we might see as we have never seen before. God does this in his mercy. God does us in our grace. Listen, caves are not a great place to live. Lived in Kentucky, the land of caves. Did a lot of cave exploring. It's fun for a few hours, but it's no place to spend a night. They're dark. They're damp. It's, it's hard to get comfortable on a rocky floor. But David and his, 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 his cast, his crew, these outcasts, Captain David goes and hides in these caves. The Bible talks about it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37. It said they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. It's no fun life. David spent many years running from Saul in the wilderness of En Gedi. It's amazing how hiding in the caves, it has a way of grinding the pride down in a man's heart. It's God's gift to us. It's God's blessing that we find ourselves in caves. It's amazing how God uses the caves to work the Saul out of our heart. God uses the caves. I love the quote Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Those waves that come and throw you against the rocks, those hardships, those seasons of uh, persecution. Listen, persecution is a gift. That's what the theme of this message is about. Persecution is a gift that God uses to do his work on the inside of you. Don't, don't despise it. Don't run from it. Just say, Lord, I submit myself to you. I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to raise up a word against them. I'm going to trust in you. Persecution is a gift. I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rocks because they are the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. They are the trials and the tests that God gives me as gifts to draw me closer unto himself. They're a blessing to us. I've come to understand this, that every single person, every adversary that has pursued me, every person that has tried to destroy me has actually brought the purpose of God to fulfillment in my life. They tried to pull me down, but they were actually used to catapult me. Just like Joseph's brother, and he would talk about it in Genesis chapter 50, when, in verse 20, when his brothers are before him, and he says, look, you guys threw me in a pit, and you meant it for evil, but God has used it to turn out for my good, to be a blessing to all. All of these people. Listen, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise the days in the cave because if God takes you to a cave, it's because he loves you. Amen? It's the goodness of God that drives us into the caves. Amen? Saul finds David by accident in the caves, but Saul's not even aware of it. Saul is hunting, and the Bible says, I mean, th this man was adamant about the death and destruction and absolute obliteration of David. It, the Bible says he hunted him every single day. And they're out in En Gedi looking for David. 3,000 troops. I mean, Saul brought the forces out to find David. 3,000 troops. And they're hunting him. And, and Saul comes to this cave and he decides that he's going to go in and he's going to relieve himself. He's going to rest and refresh himself. And he goes into this cave unwittingly, not knowing that David was in this cave. And David had an opportunity to kill him. But instead, David takes his knife and he cuts the corner of his garment off. Now look at the heart of David. The humility that has been wrought in this man. Because he, he didn't desire to kill King Saul. 
And in fact, after he had cut the, garment, gar, the corner of his garment off, his heart was smitten within him. This man loved Saul. This man loved the guy who was pursuing him and trying to kill him. He had been married to his daughter. He had been a part of his administration. And he still loved this king. So after Saul goes out of this cave, the Bible tells us that Saul, or that David went out after Saul and he exposed himself to Saul and said, look, Saul, I don't want to kill you. I mean you no harm. You were, I, I, I had you in my hands. I could have killed you if I wanted to, but look, I've got your garment to prove. I mean you no harm. And Saul looks and sees and says, indeed, I recognize because of what you have done that the hand of God is upon you. And one day, indeed, you will sit upon the throne that I now sit on, and I will do you no harm. But make this promise to me. When you come into your kingdom, do no harm to my descendants. There's a, a pact that's made here. There's a covenant that, made, that is made here. You see, David loved his king. And, and David would, would not come to, to the throne by a coup or a rebellion. He would, he would, it would not be by an overthrow or a power grab. There, there was no hostile takeover in the heart of King David. He was humbly submitted to the hand of God, and he was determined that he would be, if he were to become king, that he would become king because of a covenant. Because may, God had made covenant with him, and also he had made covenant with Saul. The Bible talks about, uh, in, in 3 John, the, the ninth verse, it talks about a man named Diotrephes. And John, writing there, he says, this, this, this man loves to have the preeminence. You know people like that? They've always got to be front and center. They've got to be the center of attention. They, they've, 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 they've got to call all the shots. They love to have the preeminence. You know people like that? That's Diotrephes. Listen, if Diotrephes were in that cave instead of David, Diotrephes would have cut Saul's head off. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous place. You think about that. David would pin that in the Psalms. Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. David loved his king to the point that when he found out that Saul had died, he wept and wrote a song about him. He loved this man. There was no spite. There was no bitterness. There, there was no hatred in, in the heart of this man. It was a pure heart before God. And I, here's what I've come to understand, that God delights in exalting those who choose the path of obedience over asserting their own authority. God delights in exalting those who choose to be servants rather than striving to be head. God delights in exalting those who would be slaves rather than rulers. It's the way that God works. It's the way that God lifts men up and puts men down. God called David a man after mine own heart. The reason David had a heart after God is because he had allowed God to do a work in him. Let's stand together. God proved David in the darkness of those caves so that he could stand in the light in the castle. Why does God allow us to come to the caves? Here's what I've come to understand. God brings us to the caves to prepare us for the castle. 
It was all about preparation. If you feel like a cave dweller, if you feel like you're dwelling in darkness and obscurity and God has forgotten you, just sit back and enjoy. Because God is working. And he will advance you. I know that God has promised you, be patient. Wait upon the Lord. Allow God to do it. Don't go exalting yourself. Don't go promoting yourself. Allow God to open the doors. Allow God to promote. Listen, if you're opening doors, you're going to have to keep them open yourself. But when God opens it, said, I open a door that no man can shut. Amen? God takes us to the cave to prepare us for the castle. In the pasture, we see a shepherd. In the cave, we see a fugitive on the run. But it's all part of God's plan. He's preparing a king to sit upon a throne. The the, the, the book of Psalms, the 78th uh, Psalm, the 72nd verse of that Psalm, it says this. It says that David was the shepherd over them according to the integrity of his hands, or the skill of his hands, I'm sorry, and the integrity of his heart. It was God who had worked that in David. He worked the skill of his hands in the sheepfold, and he developed the character of his heart in the caves. It's God that does that. It's for his purpose. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every leader. I thank you for every man and woman of God that is out in the field today, putting their lives on their line, hazarding uh, their financial well-being and, and, and sometimes their own bodies and their own safety, their own families, Lord God. I thank you for these mighty men and women of God. I thank you for the pastors, the leaders that are gathered in this place. I thank you for everyone who serves in their, their church. Father, I pray strength to every, each and every one of them today, Lord God. Father, I pray right now that you would come to our hearts, Father. I pray that you would still us, that you would bring us comfort, Lord God. Uh, Our our systems have failed us. Our own churches have failed us. Uh, Everything that we have built around us has failed us. We find no safety around us, Lord God. We look to you because refuge has failed us, Lord God. Come right now and cut out this false spirit from us, Lord God. Destroy it. Let it not be in our heart, Lord God. Father, develop and cultivate your spirit in us. Bring us to a place of humility, Lord God. Bring us to a place of servitude, Lord God. Father, I pray above all, advance your kingdom. Take your word and your message, the message of the gospel, to the nations, Lord God. Use each and every single one of us in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you.